Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gittler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 16 in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, May the 22nd. First, I'll be talking to Patrick Coughlin, CEO of Creditor Watch, on new payment data suggesting that SMEs were struggling with cash flow issues long before the coronavirus lockdown measures came into play and were unprepared for the current downturn. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest unemployment figures and what they mean for the economy. But first, let's talk to Patrick Coughlin. So Patrick, your data showed that businesses were suffering from cash flow problems well before the COVID crisis. But how well prepared were they for it? That's right. Um, and I think, look, there's, there's two parts to that. One is, can you ever really be prepared for a pandemic like this? You know, I don't think there's... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I don't think there's any company in the world that's probably prepared for it. If they are, they've kept quiet quiet secondly you know when you look at small businesses medium businesses the majority of them have probably only got you know a few weeks maybe a couple of months you know for the better ones worth of cash reserves that can withstand a you know 70 80 90 100 downturn in revenue especially when it happens as quick as it did in this case with, with corona so what did your data show so a few things of note. One and the most important is probably the fact that small businesses were being paid 
you know, 40% slower than, uh, than the previous quarter. And that's for Q1 2020. So that's pre-corona. So they were already struggling to get cash in the door before they got hit with this, uh, with the pandemic itself, um, which means they were, you know, there's underprepared and then there's, you know, extremely underprepared. And, and, and it was uh, a horrible sort of situation for, for most SMEs and, and their directors, owners out there to have to deal with this as well as the already slow paying customers that, that were out there. Was it any particular sector? Was it right across the board? Look, it was it was right across the board. However, there were some specific sectors that stood out. Agriculture, which is probably no surprise after, you know, that would have been significantly hit by fires and, and floods that we had sort of late 2019, early 2020. Construction, we know that construction is always slow over that Christmas, New Year period, and it is notoriously slow in terms of um, payment times anyway. Retail, we saw a 71% increase. Now, retail was quite interesting. You know, we saw a number of administrations take place in November and December. And typically what you see is retail administrations will happen in, you know, late Jan, Feb, March, after the boom period that they're supposed to make all their money, you know, to pay the rent, keep the lights on. But you found that a number of them, big and small, basically took stock towards the end of you know, 2019 into early 2021 and just went, you know what, let's close up shop. It's not going to matter how good a, how good a Christmas period we have. I'd imagine it would affect transport. Yep, transport as well. They, they were struggling. And I think, you know, AusPost had, you know, an announcement only, I think it was last month or the month before, fairly recently around the huge drop you know, in letters and they're retraining, you know, posties to deliver parcels and that sort of thing. So while the online, you know, e-commerce boom is certainly happening, we're we're definitely seeing, um, they definitely saw a slowdown in payments and and that would have obviously affected them greatly leading into Corona as well, where, you know, business to business sort of transport and whatnot would have fallen off a cliff e-commerce has probably upticked a little bit which is good but really they'd be in a in a spot of bother as well and what about professional services i think i think what we found there was um people were obviously 2019 was a was a fairly tough year for for small businesses in general and as i understand it you know smaller businesses medium businesses were taking stock of you know what are they paying in terms of professional service fees, lawyers, accountants, and whatnot. Um, and, and I think what we found is that, one, customers were, were slowing their payments and taking advantage of, of lawyers and accountants. And, and I know from first-hand knowledge working at Creditor Watch that lawyers and accountants aren't the best when it comes to collecting their own debts and they very rarely do any sort of due diligence. So that, that obviously contributes to it. And on top of that, I think people are starting to look around and go, do I really need to be using a mid-tier or a top-tier firm for, for these sort of services, can I move somewhere else? And, and that's where we would have seen um, some payment times blow out as a result of that. So just about every business was affected by this? That's right. They, they would really be struggling across, across almost every industry other than those who, you know, might, or not might, the ones that do fall into, you know, essential services, so to speak, or they're, they're supplying, you know, the likes of, of Coles and Woolies with, with, with items that are in, in high demand. And we obviously saw a huge uptick in panic buying, you know, in, in, in Feb and March, which looked like it contributed to an increase in our GDP, which was good to offset everything else. But 
Yeah, look, SMEs at the moment are doing it extremely tough, and and the challenge is um, how do they how do they get out of it? And and I've been talking a lot recently about you know zombie companies, so to speak. And that's when I talk about that, I'm talking about companies that were struggling pre-corona. That if Corona hadn't have come along, you'd be questioning whether they would still be around anyway within you know within the next six months as a result of tightening cash flow. Uh, you know, reducing margins and a re- reduction in you know profit and revenue. So the government has then introduced some some fantastic legislation around safe harbour, pushing out insolvency changes like uh, six month reprieve on answering um, stat demands issued by the courts and that sort of thing. What I think that does, however, though, is it's pushed the can or kicked the can down down the street, so to speak, in terms of directors, shareholders looking at their business and going, you know what, we probably should have wound this up in in early 2020, but why don't we take advantage of JobKeeper? Um, Why don't we take advantage of the fact that we can trade insolvent and let's see what happens, right? Who knows what will happen? It gives us six months. So let's go with that. So you're seeing any signs of businesses looking for opportunities? Yeah, it's it's a good question. What I've really enjoyed watching and i I say that you know gently, obviously, because it hasn't hasn't been a good experience for for really anyone out there. But what I've enjoyed seeing is how entrepreneurial Australians can be. You know, you look at um, I've got plenty of friends in in the hospitality industry. I've got friends in um, office furniture, for example, and they've all had to become quick thinkers. You know, we're talking about you know going from you know good revenue to 80, 90 percent gone in in a matter of days. For some of them, you know, and they've had to they've had to pivot to use that horrible word that probably gets bandied about too much, and 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 become really entrepreneurial and come up with different ways. So you've seen all of these people, you know, selling their um their food and their dinners and whatnot online and and pushing it through social media and avoiding the likes of you know Uber Eats and Fedora and those you know those delivery ones and doing it themselves and and being supported by you know their their customers, which is great to see, and then. Outside of that hospitality space, you see them, you know, pivoting to things like, okay, let's create work from home um, solutions. We used to provide just, you know, desks and chairs and whatnot that were designed for the office. Now we can do something for from work from home, and that's happening really quick. And then I think looking at also in the medical center, uh, sector, it, it's been really a uh, warming to see, you know, these businesses go great. Let's create ventilators. Let's create protective gear for you know frontline workers that sort of thing and and yeah that that that's a, a nice sort of part of the whole corona story that's come out what did your data show about credit inquiries so so we what we saw was quite interesting and it, and it shocked me i'm 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 qu- i'm quite an optimistic person so it's, it's and it's hard to be optimistic in times like this but i think it's important to be um, but i'm a realist as well so what we saw is we saw a big drop in credit inquiries over you know, sort of starting around mid-March when it became really serious and it, and it dropped significantly week on week on week through to about the, the, the penultimate week of April, I think it was. And we saw this big jump of about 36% in the number of credit inquiries being performed. So for me, that was really positive. And that, that lined up with that sort of change in, in mentality and, 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 and sentiment and confidence around, okay, well, we flattened the curve here. We've done a really good job. Everyone's behaved themselves, even, even the people in, in Bondi, you know, stopped going to the beach in, in, in droves, which was great to see. And I think what we saw was a confidence in that consumer side and the health side start to trickle into 
into the commercial side and people started to not only run credit inquiries, searches, credit reports on their existing customers, but also on new customers who were applying for credit. So um, we haven't seen a big jump from there. It, it's, it's, it's dropped off slightly, but we're still, you know, we're still well ahead of where we were in, in the doldrums sort of in, in March and April in terms of credit activity. So the credit inquiries might show that they're picking up business. That definitely, definitely. I think what you'll find is, you know, suppliers, distributors, manufacturers will start to have a fairly good sense of which of their customers are hibernating or potentially going out of business, you know, not credit worthy. They're starting to do searches on new companies that are coming to them and they're, and they're, and they're getting a sense of which of their existing customers are healthy, right? And that's all designed for them to be able to, to continue to trade or to, or to start trading as soon as possible. Well, Patrick, thank you very much for your time. It's been quite illuminating. No problem. Thanks for having me today. See you later. And now let's talk to Indeed Economist, Callum Pickering. Callum, we had appalling jobs figures, uh, which were up from 5.2% to 6.2%, but uh, it's actually a lot more serious than that. Uh, we had uh, a number of 490,000 people have left the labour force altogether. Uh, and uh, that, that's quite worrying. And uh, we've had a massive cut in working hours. And uh, what's your view about this? Yeah, there's there's a lot going on with this latest set of labour market figures, and it's quite difficult to sort of interpret just how much damage has been done. The unemployment rate did only increase quite moderately to 6.2% from 5.2%, but that hides a lot of the damage that we've seen. So employment fell by almost 600,000 people, um, which is quite simply unprecedented. Um, and most of those people actually ended up leaving the labour force, which happened largely due to policy changes, um, because the, the federal government has relaxed um, requirements on, on um, unemployed people. Usually they need to search for a number of jobs a month in order to receive unemployment benefits. That's no longer the case, which means that a lot of the people who went on to the job seeker allowance um, we're not actively searching for jobs, and so we're not considered unemployed in the latest month. And that helped to contain the, the level of unemployment in in April. If you uh, adjust for that, the unemployment rate actually jumps to around 9.6%, which sort of better, I guess, characterises the you know the damage has been done. Hours fell to a, a much greater degree; they were down by 9.2%, and that mostly hurt um, part-time workers. Hours worked by part-time workers was down almost a quarter just in a month. So they've been hit um, through hospitality, uh, the retail sector, um, recreation, gyms and, and things like that. So they've been a, a hard hit subgroup. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, the, the worrying part is about uh, the people who have dropped out of the workforce. I mean, the data suggests getting people back to jobs will be even more challenging as they will first need to be enticed back into the workforce and then find a job. Well, I think what's likely to happen is that in the coming months, um, a lot of those people who officially left the workforce will re-enter via unemployment because they'll start to look for new opportunities. These 500,000 people who officially left the workforce, they didn't really. They're not searching for jobs because there really aren't any jobs available right now and they're not required to by the, the federal government in order to receive their, their job seeker payment. Um, but these are people who are no doubt desperate to get back into the workforce. Some will find their way back in once restrictions are lifted and there'll be 
new hiring from businesses across the country. Um, others will take a lot longer to, to find their, their new opportunity. But what we are likely to see is that subgroup, that 500,000 people, will shift from being considered outside the workforce to being considered unemployed over the next couple of months. So it wouldn't surprise me if the unemployment rate does spike quite heavily from now um, when the, the May or June data comes out. Okay, okay. And, of course, with the hours work, I mean, that seems to hit uh, women and uh, young people disproportionately because they're involved in areas like hospitality where uh, uh, hours have been cut. Yeah, that's right. So the industries that have been hardest hit have included hospitality, um, arts and recreation, and also retail in, in certain areas. And those sectors do uh, attract a, a great deal of younger workers, um, those aged between 15 and 24, as well as a lot of women who often um, need the flexibility of casual or part-time work. So those groups have been really hard hit by COVID-19 thus far. Um, other age groups... Um, sort of what we call prime age working people, people between 25 and, and 54 have been affected to a, a far uh, lesser degree. Um, but we've also seen hours um, cut quite significantly amongst older workers, um, which probably reflects the fact that this is a, a group of people who, you know, do need to stay quite isolated. And so it does make sense for, for that group to, to wind down their hours um, as, a, as a health measure because obviously COVID-19 affects older um, populations to a much greater degree than younger ones. Uh, and of course, the number was kept artificially low because of JobKeeper. Yeah, that was a, another wrinkle in the data. Uh, so what effectively anyone who received JobKeeper, regardless of whether they worked a single hour in the month, was classified as being employed. And that's because one of the qualifications for being considered employed is that you receive money from an employer. Um, and, of course, with JobKeeper, that's the case, even if you're not working at all. And so, basically, there was 1.8 million Australians who did not work a, a single hour in April that would normally have worked a, a part-time <clears throat> or a full-time schedule. Um, so, JobKeeper really did a lot of heavy lifting in order to, to keep the, the unemployment um, rate down. But what's going to be really important going forward is that once uh, the lockdowns and restrictions are lifted, that the economy is in a strong enough position that these people can actually transition back into uh, proper employment. Because if that doesn't happen, what we're likely to see is some sort of delayed unemployment impact as um, the, the JobKeeper scheme winds up, which, of course, uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has been talking about. You know, he's adamant that it's not going to be um, lengthened, that it's going to finish up um, sooner rather than later. Uh, but you're saying it has to remain in place uh, uh, even until it is no longer needed. Well, I'm of the opinion that it's far too risky to lift these policies prematurely. I think the economy needs to be in a, in a strong spot before we do that. I think setting a date and then sticking to that date is a little bit misguided in such an uncertain economic environment. And the, the federal government should um, be a little bit more cautious about what they're saying because... I think they can really shake um, household and business confidence um, if they if they pull it too soon. Okay, okay. Now, uh, so looking forward, you're saying it's going to increase by even more the unemployment rate. Uh, I believe so. 
Um, a lot of it has to do with these policies and the timing impact of, of those policies, specifically regarding uh, the mutual obligations on job seekers to actually search for work, because that's not required right now. Um, we also know that the labour market did deteriorate further um, throughout late April and into, into May. Um, the ABS also releases uh, data on business payrolls, which uh, provides a more timely look into labour market conditions, and that indicates that there has been that further deterioration. So I would expect the unemployment rate to spike again when the May data comes out. Uh, putting a firm figure on it right now is, is just impossible because some of the numbers that we're, we're looking at, we've never seen uh, employment or unemployment moves of this magnitude before. Um, and there's obviously a lot of issues with definitions in the Labor Force survey at the moment as well, and that's driving a lot of the changes. Now, uh, I mean, looking, I mean, it's 6.2%, but uh, and you said before, if you included the uh, people who dropped out of the workforce, it could went up to 9.6%. But if you include the, what, 1.8 million Australians on JobSeeker, how high, and, and for that matter, the cuts in the working hours, how high would the unemployment rate be? Uh, that's a great question. I actually haven't done the calculations on, on that, but I mean, just thinking about the the numbers now, I mean, you, you, I mean, you're talking about a, another doubling of the unemployment rate, I believe. So this is this is really a, an unprecedented situation for Australia. There's never been so many people out of work or, or sitting around not <laughs> not working like they they usually do. I think you know the, the numbers over the next few months are going to be sort of jaw dropping they're, they're things we haven't seen before what's going to be really important is where the labor market settles once these restrictions are lifted and we're obviously seeing some of those restrictions lifted now and that will hopefully be ongoing over the over the next few months as long as there's no significant um outbreaks of COVID 19 between now and then if the unemployment rate can settle well below 10 percent once all the dust settles then i think we're in a reasonable spot going forward um, but there's, there's this huge amount of uncertainty surrounding that right now and of course there's great fear of a second wave coming up well that's always the risk um, you can do all this great work containing the spread initially um, but it but it only takes a, a small thing for that spread to to pick up again uh, we have seen it in other countries um, south korea and, and singapore were two countries that were considered to have done an excellent job of flattening the curve at containing the spread of COVID-19. And yet both of them now find themselves facing that second wave, a pickup in the number of cases. Australia has done better than almost anyone at containing the spread. But, it, but it's so easy for us to, to lose that advantage um, if we, we do pull these restrictions uh, too soon. Um, so that's going to be something that obviously um, policymakers are going to need to, to monitor. Um, it's unlikely to be sort of smooth sailing. We are going to have these periods where it appears as though we're really on top of it, but maybe, you know, the, the spread picks up a little bit again and we need to uh, put through some of those, you know, added restrictions again. So it, it's going to be a, a really, um, I think, difficult period for Australians. Um, we're obviously, all of us are sort of over the situation right now, but it's going to be something that's obviously going to stick with us for, for some time to come. And uh, while comparisons are made with the Great Depression, the difference is uh, now the issue is we have to get the health system right and ready for this to come down. Well, that's exactly right. And look, to be fair, Australia's done a great job. We've managed to increase 
capacity across the healthcare system, which puts us in a better place to uh, manage a, a future outbreak um, if, if that was to occur. So we've done really well in that regard. Um, but yeah, the priority has to be the healthcare system um, because the economy isn't going to function effectively if there is a, a widespread pandemic and there is, you know, active fear um, from consumers and businesses about the risks of, of doing business. Um, we've seen countries try to uh, manage it without um, restrictions, such as Sweden. And what those countries are showing is there's still a huge economic impact, um, even when there aren't firm restrictions in place. So really, the only way to get the economy uh, tracking the way it used to is to firmly get on top of COVID-19. Um, because if you, if you don't do that, the economy is just not going to function um, the way it normally does. Well, Callum, that's uh, quite alarming. And uh, thank you very much for your time and stay safe. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thank you. So what's happening in the news? Well, global stocks surged as investors took heart that the gradual easing of lockdowns in Europe would stimulate global economic growth while also drawing encouragement from a US trial for a COVID-19 vaccine. Trader optimism was underpinned by comments from Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell over the weekend that the central bank had more in reserve to support the US economy if required. But the global economy will take much longer to recover fully from the shock caused by the new coronavirus than initially expected, the head of the International Monetary Fund said, and she stressed the danger of protectionism. Managing Director... Kristalina Georgieva said the fund was likely to revise downward its forecast for a 3% contraction in GDP in 2020, but gave no details. That would likely also trigger changes in the fund's forecast for a partial recovery of 5.8% in 2021. In an interview with Reuters, she said data from around the world was worse than expected. Obviously, that means it will take us much longer to have a full recovery from this crisis, Georgieva said in the interview. She gave no specific target date for the rebound. In April, the global lender forecast that business closures and lockdowns to slow the spread of the virus would throw the world into the deepest recession since the 1930s Great Depression. But data reported since then points to more bad news, Georgie ever said. The IMF is due to release new global projections in June. Georgie ever told Reuters the fund was focused on risks such as high debt levels, increased deficits, unemployment, bankruptcies, increased poverty and inequality during the recovery period. But she said the crisis was also boosting the digital economy, offering a chance to boost transparency and e-learning and give even small firms access to markets. Asked about renewed tensions between the United States and China, the world's two largest economies, Georgie Ever said she was urging member countries to maintain open communication and trade flows that had underpinned global growth for decades. And Facebook is making another run at building a shopping empire. And this time it has the direct involvement of the company's most important executive, Mark Zuckerberg. The Facebook chief executive officer announced a handful of updates on Tuesday, signalling the company's commitment to online shopping and commerce, one of the areas he highlighted as a priority for this year. The main product, called Shops, is a new version of an existing Facebook feature with a similar name and will let retailers upload product catalogues to their Facebook page or Instagram profile. Users can find these shops directly from the retailer's page or by clicking on an ad that will redirect them to a shop inside Facebook instead of a retailer's own website. Eventually, Mr Zuckerberg says, these shops will be accessible across the Facebook company, including Messenger and WhatsApp, 
giving retailers a way to reach Facebook's nearly 3 billion users with one product catalogue. Mr Zuckerberg highlighted the importance of shops for small businesses, almost all of which are operating exclusively online during the COVID-19 pandemic. The vast majority of Facebook advertisers are small businesses. But in Australia, the hoarders gave and they taketh away. ABS figures show retail sales fell by a record 17.9% in April. But the rate of jobs lost in the COVID-19 hit economy is slowing, while earlier estimates of job losses have also been revised down. The latest payroll data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics and Australian Taxation Office shows that over the seven weeks from mid-March to early May, total jobs fell by 7.3%. Based on the 13 million employed in March, that 7.3% fall equates to 950,000 jobs lost in the seven weeks. ABS Head of Labor Statistics, John Jarvis, said the week-to-week changes are now much smaller than they were early in the COVID-19 period. And China has delivered a brutal payback to Australia after it pushed for a COVID-19 probe, slapping new tariffs on drought-affected barley exporters. The move, which was first threatened last week, effectively wipes out the Australian barley trade with China and follows weeks of high-profile lobbying from Australia over the coronavirus inquiry. Within hours of President Xi Jinping announcing he would back a probe into the coronavirus pandemic once it's brought under control, China moves swiftly to punish Australia. China's followed through on its threat to impose an 80% tariff on Australian barley imports, with the tax set to remain in place for five years. The tariff is expected to wipe out Australia's trade of the grain with China, worth $1.5 billion in 2018, with half of Australia's barley exports typically bound for the country. Australia is now considering taking it to the World Trade Organisation. China argues the product has been imported against trade rules after an investigation that began in 2018. The move comes amid diplomatic tension between the two countries over Australia's push for an inquiry into the origins of COVID-19. The Chinese slap will cost Australian barley producers close to $1 billion, according to industry researcher Ibis World. The tariff will effectively spell the end of Australia's barley exports to China, which was worth $917 million in the 2018-19 financial year, according to Ibis World. While China's recovery from the COVID-19 outbreak has supported the demand for locally grown barley in recent months, American farmers, rather than Australian ones, are likely to benefit. China is Australia's largest grain export market with barley used to make beer and feed livestock. China accounts for 13% of Australian grain exports, according to the research firm. Australia's grain industry has been badly hurt by both coronavirus and the summer bushfires, with revenue expected to fall 17.6% in the 2019-20 financial year. And the Andrews government will undertake the biggest spend on social housing since the global financial crisis as part of a $500 million package to boost 168 new units and upgrade 23,000 more to bolster Victoria's struggling economy. The mammoth spend is part of a $2.7 billion government building blitz, which it says will create thousands of jobs. The Victorian state government will pump $58 million into new social housing units in Reservoir, Balaclava, Dandenong and Hampton Park, but the biggest portion of the package will go towards maintenance and upgrade works that can be delivered quickly, such as painting and roofing. And employers and the federal government have warned premiers not to further damage the $80 billion domestic tourism sector as travellers face ongoing confusion over the lifting of state border restrictions. Small numbers of domestic flights are continuing during the COVID-19 pandemic crisis, but interstate recreational travel remains on hold until the move to the second stage of the revised restrictions agreed by National Cabinet, expected in June at the earliest.
Warnings against all non-essential travel remain in place, and the federal government does not expect interstate letter travel to restart until the third stage of COVID-safe rules, likely to be sometime in July. Qantas and Jetstar on Monday announced plans to introduce new safety precautions on Tuesday, with all passengers to be issued masks and staggered boarding and disembarkation from June the 12th. Hand sanitizer and additional cleaning will be in place, but empty seats will not be left between passengers. Air New Zealand and US carrier Delta are among airlines flying with reduced passenger numbers to limit the risk from coronavirus spread. The growing split among state premiers on when to lift border restrictions prompted a new warning from Tourism Minister Simon Birmingham on Tuesday. He said Queensland Premier Anastasia Palachuk would have to answer to a state's tourism sector if the block on travel remains in place longer than other states. Ms Palachuk has warned against reopening to tourism while community transmission of COVID-19 continues in New South Wales and Victoria. But New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has encouraged people interstate to book a holiday in New South Wales after announcing coronavirus travel restrictions would be scrapped from June the 1st. And McDonald's global comparable sales tumbled 22.2% in March and the burger chain pulled its full-year forecast as coronavirus-related lockdowns forced it to shutter stores and stick to delivery or takeaway. The company, one of the first major food chains to provide a glimpse into the economic impact of the health crisis, said it had raised US $6.5 billion, that's $10.4 billion Aussie, in the quarter and suspended share buybacks to bolster its cash reserves. And 12 McDonald's stores closed in Melbourne. And Virgin Australia's auction moved into the second round with four shortlisted bidders on Monday morning. Regional Express and Alliance Aviation, two listed Australian regional airlines, were not in the mix. The bidders were told Virgin's management would make its pitch to the four respective groups next week. Deloitte was seeking to have final bids by June the 12th and a signed deal by June the 30th. And the race for Virgin Australia just took a dramatic twist, with the surprise entrance of a New York-based hedge fund that surely counts as one of the world's most experienced airline investors. Cyrus Capital Partners is a front-runner for Virgin and is on the shortlist. Cyrus, which manages $7 billion, takes its place alongside long-time front-runners BGH, Bain Capital and Indigo Partners, a US private equity investor that specialises in the aviation sector. But Cyrus is particularly fascinating because of its connection to two men, Wall Street Titan, Stephen Friedheim and Richard Branson, the father of the Virgin Group. And Fletcher Building is sacking 1,500 people from its workforce, including 500 in Australia because of a sharp downturn in demand as the economic damage from the coronavirus pandemic washes through the construction sector. Fletcher Chief Executive Ross Taylor said it was an unsettling time for all involved, but there was no other option as volumes weakened, with around 10% of the entire workforce to be made redundant. Fletcher is dual listed on the New Zealand and Australian Stock Exchanges, and the company operates a $3 billion-plus building products business in Australia under brands including TradeLink Plumbing and Bathroom Supplies, Stramit Roofing and Structural Steel, Iplex Pipes, Rockler Concrete, Tasman Sinkware and Fletcher Insulation. It is the biggest player in its home market of New Zealand in the building products sector. Mr Taylor said that other cost-cutting measures already put in place simply weren't enough to ensure the business was in the right shape to make it through the tough times. There are important messages to extract from Fletcher's view of the residential market and its decision to go early on job cuts. Firstly, a residential construction slowdown could create something of a feedback loop through the economy, given residential construction accounts for a bit under 6% of GDP and a bit under 6% of employment. Nervous households close their wallets for construction spending. Activity jobs are lost. 
Household budgets are hit further and a recovery in spending becomes less likely still. And internet criminals are cashing in on people who want to buy a puppy to help cope with loneliness during the lockdown. The consumer watchdog says victims have lost nearly $300,000 in so-called puppy scams this year, with a spike in scams since the COVID-19 lockdown took hold. Puppy scam complaints to the Australian Competition Consumer Commission were five times higher than average in April. ACCC Deputy Chair Delia Rickard said scammers had set up ads online selling popular dog breeds such as Cavoodles and French Bulldogs. She said the crims are exploiting the fact that people could not travel to see the puppy in person, asking for upfront payments and offering to transport the dog to the buyer. Ms Rickard said the safest option was to adopt or buy a pet when you can see it in person. And Foxtel's new streaming service is expected to launch next week after weeks of rumours and speculation. The upcoming edition, tipped to be called Binge, will join a crowded market of streaming offers competing for Australian dollars. Foxtel's streaming service news comes just weeks after it announced it had secured exclusive rights to air HBO Max content in Australia. While the deal was limited to a few years, it means that the upcoming US entertainment giant will deliver its original and legacy content through Foxtel services in the country, delaying any chance of a separate Australian HBO Max release. HBO Max is set to launch on May the 27th in the US and will feature a variety of original programs including a Gossip Girl reboot, Station Eleven, Tokyo Vice, Adventure Time, Distant Lands and Americana. The announcements are anticipated to provide a much-needed bump to Foxtel's dwindling subscriber base. According to Roy Morgan's March 2020 report, Foxtel was the only entertainment platform to lose subscribers compared to February of the previous year. It shrunk around 100,000 subscribers down to 4.85 million subscribers over its three entertainment options, whereas Netflix, Stan, Amazon Prime Video and Disney Plus all experienced a growth in the base. And the major banks are considering adopting artificial intelligence technology to monitor the electronic communications of staff, to identify bad culture and reduce risks in the workforce operating remotely. The AI tool, developed by consulting firm Blackhall & Pearl and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, will also help banks after COVID-19 to implement the Hain Royal Commission and meet tougher demands from regulators for tangible evidence that poor cultures have improved. The system will allow companies to X-ray staff emails, mapping connections to determine social influences, and using natural language processing technology to work out the sentiment of teams. It can also run on the emerging communication platforms like Slack or Yammer. And in a landmark case, 25 young people aged 13 to 30 are mounting a legal challenge to the massive Clive Palmer-owned Galilee Basin Coal Project. This will be the first time human rights arguments are used in a climate change case in Australia. Palmer's proposed Waratah coal mine in the Galilee Basin will dwarf Adani's operation, extracting four times as much coal per year. The mine has been given the green light at the federal government level and has been issued with a draft environmental approval at the state government level. This court challenge will allow Queensland's land court to determine whether the state government should issue or reject final environmental approval. So why mount a case now? Well, Queensland's new Human Rights Act 2019 came into effect on January the 1st this year, opening the door for a flood of new climate change litigation. Climate change poses a clear threat to human rights with lives and livelihoods at direct risk from increased extreme weather events, extended heat waves, and worsened drought. The case between the group of young Queenslanders called Youth Verdict and mining company Waratah Coal 
will test whether the project's benefits, including economic benefits and employment provision, justify limiting human rights. After the United States, Australia has had the highest number of climate-related cases before our courts. And workers based in CBD offices and towers in Melbourne and Sydney will likely be confronted by thermal screening and lift queues when they return to their workstations post-pandemic. With occupancy rates in Melbourne hovering at around 5% last month, Officers are not expected to hit even 50% until at least July. Full occupancy may be years away, experts say. ANZ Bank says thermal scanners will check worker temperatures at its office entrances. Those with an elevated temperature would isolate for 10 minutes and then be retested. And physical distancing rules could force workers in Sydney's Australia Square Tower to wait as long as three hours to get up and down the landmark building at the start and end of the day, as the 1.5 metre requirement allows no more than two people in its lifts at the same time. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Carolyn Bowler, CEO of BTC Markets, the largest most liquid Australian Bitcoin exchange with 260,000 Australian customers trading more than $8 billion. And economist Saul Leslake will offer his views on where the Australian economy is heading. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter, talking bizbell.z, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you talking business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.